morning, everybody. Hey, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have a wonderful week. Uh, lots of good food and uh, lots of good fellowship this week. Uh, you know, we are in this story together. We're reading through the major narratives of the scriptures, all the way uh, from the beginning, of, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And I hope by now you're starting to, to notice something special. How each book in this Bible, we call it a Bible, it's a big thick book, but it's actually a collection of 66 books uh, all bound together, and how amazingly they all relate with each other, and they all come together, and they all complement, and the narratives all intertwine, and this is actually a fact that has amazed scholars. Uh, scholars of uh, literary antu- antiquity are, are just fascinated that you've got this collection of books written by dozens of human authors. Uh, Some of are over a thousand years apart from when they lived, and yet the whole narrative fits seamlessly together in just an incredible way. It's it's unbelievable how well interrelated it all is. As a matter of fact, it's so amazing, it makes the Bible as the Word of God believable. Well, we get to a, a short book in the Bible today called Ruth. And Ruth is a story about a foreign woman. She is an immigrant. Actually, there's several immigrants in the story. And so I just want you to think about at least this part about being an immigrant. Why would a person risk their life to get into a raft to try to get from Cuba to Florida? Why? Why would a person risk their life to climb over a fence to get from Mexico to Arizona. Well, it's, it's because the life you have is terrible. Right? And, and the life you hope for and the life you dream of in the new land right, is going to be much better than what you have. Okay, we've got these immigrants. And the first two we meet are Elimelech and Naomi. They're husband and wife. And they have two sons already. And then there is this famine in the land of Israel. Now, uh, they're from Bethlehem, which the irony there is that the name Bethlehem means house of bread. And yet, here they are suffering this immense famine in the land. And it's so bad that the dad, Elimelech, he says, we're going to have to immigrate. (laughs) We're going to go all the way down to Moab to try to find a better life. And provide for my family. Now, it had to be very severe because Moab was a bad place. They were evil people. They were enemies with Israel. Uh, they worshiped many other gods in Moab, and the worst one, Kamesh, uh, Mo- Mo- uh, actually required human sacrifices. And they would even sacrifice children in Moab, an evil place. An evil place. And yet Elimelech feels like this is the only way he's going to survive. So they get down to Moab, and everything that they tried to escape ended up happening to them. Extreme poverty. So bad they sold what land they had in Israel just to try to make ends meet. And ends still didn't meet for them. And then Elimelech dies. And then... Her two sons die. She has no husband. 
She has no sons. She has no land to go back to. This is uh, it's terrible. And you know what? She's never going to remarry. She's too old. And it's not because she's not attractive. It's because in ancient civilizations, you did not get married for companionship, for love, or for sex. You got married to expand your family, to expand your territory, or uh, to have cheap labor. True. You have you had kids, you had free farmhands. Right? And so kids here, you better be happy. You weren't born in ancient civilizations. But that's the only reason you would get married. And, and Naomi had nothing that she could offer to a man to provide any of these means. Because everything in this culture, your significance was tied to the size of your property and the size of your family. Now, aren't you glad that we Americans do not have such antiquated value systems today? Imagine, if, if your significance was tied to how much money you had or how big your house was. Well, Naomi could not provide any of these things for her husband, and so she is uh, at the rock bottom. But there's a turn in the story, and there's some good news. It says, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, in other words, uh, this is all taking place during the time of the Judges. That was the last chapter we read, book of Judges. Now we're in Ruth. The uh, Bible doesn't give it uh, exact dates, but evidence would suggest uh, this is during the time of Gideon, when Gideon was the judge uh, over Israel. Famine came on the land, and as God intended, right, his punishment made his people repent. <laughs> they come back to the Lord, and so he removed the famine and started blessing, blessing the, the, uh, the land with food again. So Naomi hears this. There's food back in Israel again. I've got nothing here. I, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to Israel. Well, remember, she has these two daughters-in-law now because her sons had died, and now she, these two daughters are, are widows. They're, they're a family. They live together. And her daughters are named Orpah and Ruth. Now, these are, some of these are odd names. They're hard to remember. But Orpah is actually, now this is true. Oprah Winfrey was supposed to be named Orpah. Her mom transposed those letters on her birth certificate. But she was supposed to be named after Orpah, this biblical person. Uh, and Orpah, the, the meaning of the name Orpah is stubborn. And I'm not sure what Oprah means. Uh, maybe rich, very rich. Um, and then, so that's Orpah. And then Ruth. Uh, does anybody remember Dr. Ruth? No, I'm, that's, I'm kidding. There's no relation there. But Orpah and Ruth, uh, they want to go back with Naomi. Uh, they've lived together 10 years or so. Uh, they want to go back to Israel with her. But Naomi says, no, no, my daughters, return home. Uh, in other words, she knows that it's not safe for Moabites, women, in Israel. If they were to come back with her, they would be mistreated, probably raped, maybe even just killed. 
Uh, so please. And, and they love each other. She, she kisses them. They weep. She, she prays blessing. May the Lord be good to you. May you have new husbands. May you have a family. May you have land. May you have significance. But please don't, don't come back with me. Because, and she says, uh, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. When Naomi gets back to Israel, uh, her friends say, oh, Naomi, it's you. And she says, no, don't call me that. Naomi actually means pleasant. I'm just going to change my name to Mara, which means bitterness. Uh, I have a bitterness. The Lord's hand has been against me. I have a bitter life. Here's the point. Naomi was going back to home to die. She had no husband. She had no children. She had no hope. She had no future. She had no land. She was going home to die. And she didn't need her daughters to come back and watch that. Now this is the pit of the arc of the story. This is, this is the hopeless case that Naomi finds herself in. And so the big question today is, how do we get from this to the end of the story where at the very end of the story, in, in chapter 4, we're going to read, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and uh, cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. Now, how do we get from a woman who's way beyond her childbearing years, no hope and no future, to praising God, Naomi has a son? Well, the key is that guardian redeemer. Some translations say kinsman redeemer. That's actually stuck in my head. That's the one I've read so much. So I'll probably refer to him as the kinsman redeemer. It's your kin. It's a relative. And the word redeem means to buy back, to purchase, to buy back. You redeem something. If you go to uh, Chuck E. Cheese and you get all these thousand tickets, you redeem those tickets, right, for, you know, a wonderful prize. But um, uh, they need a kinsman redeemer. These, these women, Naomi and Ruth. And here's the cool thing about Ruth. If you read it this week, or maybe you're on the schedule, you're going to read it this coming week. But what you'll read is, is uh, there's not actually one redeemer in this story. Not two. There's actually three redeemers in the book of Ruth. Now, the first one is obvious. The first redeemer, of course, of course, it's Boaz. Now, Boaz, uh, this is the the verse that we read, he is the guardian redeemer, the kinsman redeemer. Uh, when uh, Naomi and Ruth return to Israel, they realize that, well, they, don't realize, they know when they, before they get there, uh, they, don't have any, they don't have any place to live, they don't have any way to make money, they don't have any way to produce any food, they don't have any land. And so Ruth says, well, Naomi, you're old. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to glean for the both of us. 
Now, what's gleaning? Well, gleaning is, uh, this is a provision that, that God established in the Old Testament. We read about it in Deuteronomy. That uh, uh, landowners could not maximize profits. Okay? Landowners were not allowed to, to glean, to, to harvest all of their land from edge to edge. They had to leave 10% of their crops along the edges so that the poor, the homeless, the widows, the orphans uh, would have means to survive. They could go out to the edges of the field right, and glean and pick the fruit. Uh, and this is, was, this is what Ruth was going to do. Now, Naomi knew that it was very dangerous uh, for Ruth, a Moabite woman, to go out into this field where there are Israelite men working in the field and they see a Moabite woman gleaning, anything, literally anything could happen to her. Uh, she was taking her life into her own hands. And yet, if she didn't do it, they were both going to starve to death. And so she went. And so Ruth goes out and the field that she comes to, this is great. Uh, so she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, I love that turn of phrase. It just so happened that she was working in a field that belonged to Boaz. Who's Boaz? He's from the clan of Elimelech. He's a relative of Naomi, a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. It just so happened. Listen, for all of us here today, way too often, our idea of God is way too God is way bigger than what you imagine him to be. God is capable of being intimately involved in every detail of your life. And intimately involved in every detail of my life and your life and all 8 billion lives on the earth. God is beyond our comprehension. God can be fully relied on and invited Invited to be a part. I'm so glad that so many of you think about God uh, on Sundays. You know, one day a week, at least, it's awesome. Uh, you're way ahead of the curve for right many people. But I'm telling you, you can invite God to be involved in every moment of your day. He's fully capable of taking care of it and, and, and knowing what's going on and helping you and providing for you. So, goes to the field. It's Boaz's field. And uh, I guess Boaz saw uh, the new woman out there gleaning, asked probably one of the workers, who's the new girl? She's kind of cute. Uh, so he goes up to her, he says, Ruth, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Right? It's not safe for you here in Israel. You just stay here on my farm. I'll protect you. Stay here with the women who work for me. Uh, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after them. You don't have to glean on the outside edges with, you know, the, the weak stuff. Come into the middle and harvest the good stuff. And he said, I've told my men not to lay a hand on you. And he would have to tell them that. And, and whenever you are thirsty, go and drink from the water jars that the men have filled. And Ruth is overwhelmed. She's blown away by the kindness of this man, the generosity of this man who had the power to do anything he wanted to her, with her, kill her, 
And she goes home and she tells Naomi, this is incredible. You're not going to believe how wonderful my day was. And then Naomi looks at the sack of this grain and says, whoa, girl, where have you been gleaning today? you got some good stuff. And she says, tells him, well, I was, I was in this uh, gleaning and this man named Boaz came. He owned the land. And, and Naomi says, wait, what, who? Boaz? And then so Naomi says, the Lord bless him. That man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsmen, redeemers. He's related to us. You see why Naomi is so excited now because another one of the provisions that God provided uh, for his people, uh, when Joshua conquered Canaan and then they divided up the land into the, the tribes and then the clans and the families and they all had land, this inheritance. Everybody had 40 acres and a mule, so to speak. But God knew the ebbs and flows of life. And God knew how important it was for families to stay together. So he made two provisions for the land. One was the year of Jubilee. So if a family got in a bind, if the family mismanaged their land, if the family, uh, if the dad lost it in a poker game, whatever, if they lost the land, then every 50 years was a year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, all of the land returned to the family, to the original family. So the families could stay together. Now the second provision that God made was because 50 years is a long time, is that he made it so that it would be possible for someone to come and buy the land back to redeem it. And it had to be a relative, though. You couldn't just sell it on eBay to anybody you wanted. It had to be a kinsman redeemer that would buy the land back and return it to uh, the original family. So you can see, again, Naomi's, praise the Lord! <laughs> we, we, we've run into a, a, a close relative that uh, may, even, uh, may even have a little liking uh, to Ruth. So Ruth does something now that's really amazing. It's very interesting. It's very, it's unique in ancient culture, but it's, I don't even think it happened in America today, in our world. I've never heard of it. So what happens is Ruth finds out where Boaz is sleeping. And she goes in to his room and uncovers his feet and then lays her head on his ankles. And then uh, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. It startled me. And he turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? <laughs> he said, I'm your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me. She's proposing to him. You thought only men proposed in the Bible, didn't you? Well, you were wrong. She's saying, spread the garment of your love over me, the garment of your protection over me. Be my husband and provider. Now, when, when my wife, Christy, begged me to marry her, she did something similar <laughs> to this. Ah, uh, just kidding. Uh, this is sweetie. <laughs> I had to beg her. Okay. Ruth proposes, and then Boaz, Boaz, he proves that he understands marriage. Okay, he, he understands his role in the marriage, and he says, I will do for you all you ask. Boaz knows how to treat his wife and how to have a happy life. Right? 
Yes, dear. Yes, dear. And so very clearly, right, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. He is the redeemer here. First of all, he takes on all of their debt. When he buys back the land that uh, her husband had sold years ago, right, he, he bears the expense of all that. And he gives her her life back at that point. But then, as soon as he marries Ruth, at that instant, all of his wealth becomes hers too. He has bought back their lives and has given them far, far more. It is a rags to riches story. It's amazing. It's incredible. Boaz, amazing. Redeemer. But it's not called the book of Boaz, is it? It's called the book of Ruth. The second redeemer in the story is actually Ruth, a kinsman redeemer. You see, uh, when they were in Moab, and Naomi had made the decision she's going to go back to Israel and die, her daughters want to come with her. She says, no, it's not safe. I'm just going to die anyway. Uh, you stay here in Moab. Well, Orpah, listen, she turns around and she stays in Moab, probably to start a TV career. <laughs> but Ruth, Ruth says no. She clings to her. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. May the Lord deal with me. You're ever so severely. If anything separates us. Two incredible things that are happening right here. Number one is that when you immigrate to another country, you expect, I mean, the purpose is that you're hoping and dream that this is going to be a better place for you. But Ruth knows it's going to be worse for her in Israel than if she just stayed in Moab. The second incredible thing here is that Ruth uses the name Yahweh, Lord, translated in, in our Bibles. She doesn't use the generic name God. She uses the covenant name, the relationship name. Do you see? Naomi has brought the God of Israel into Ruth's life. And now Ruth is at a fork in the road, and she has to choose. Do I stay in Moab and have a life? I can get remarried. I can have children. I can have land. I can have significance. But I know each and every day it will suck the spiritual life out of me. I will lose my relationship with Yahweh. Or I can choose to go to Israel. And my life will be harder, but I will keep my relationship with the Lord. Incredible choice. So she chooses the Lord. And I don't know how I can say it any different than uh, to convince you that you, many of you, have got to get out of Moab. Either completely out or probably a lot of us, we kind of live with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in this world because we're afraid if we completely leave Moab, we're going to lose significance, friends, jobs, whatever, worldly things. Life might be harder. I don't know. Life probably will be harder, I guess, here in the here and now. But it's about trust. Do we trust that God is going to provide everything that we need? And until you completely leave Moab, 
You'll never know. The Lord, the God who loves and provides beyond anything that we can imagine. Get out of Moab. <laughs> All the way out. So we have Boaz, Redeemer. We have Ruth, Redeemer. Have you noticed who the third Redeemer is yet? In this story, in this little book, in the Old Testament. Well, I'm going to point out to you, it's going to get a little tricky, okay? But follow along, okay? And, and we're going to get it. Now, one thing about Hebrew narratives, uh, when you get to the point of obscurity in the story, the author is creating this tension because he wants you to start to notice the big picture. Okay? Here we go. Chapter 4. This is the end of the story. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. That's Boaz. Boaz. Bought the land back, married Ruth. Got it. Next verse. May he, Boaz, become famous throughout Israel. This is where it starts to get obscure. Famous. Now, Boaz was a good guy, but you do what you do for your family. He's just he's the kinsman redeemer. He's not going to be some national hero because of this. This happens not all the time. This is a normal thing, though. Okay, he's going to be famous throughout. He will renew your life. Wow, talk about a son-in-law. Huh? Boaz, he's going to renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, that's Ruth, okay, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons. Seven is a number of perfection. So it's better than even the perfect family that we all dream of. Has given him birth. Whoa. Is that the same he, him? What's going on here? May he, Boaz, but gave him birth. Ruth didn't give birth to Boaz. She married him. What's going on here? Isn't that right? Let's look at that verse, the first verse again. Boaz and Ruth, right? They make love. They have a baby. Okay, got that. Him, he. May he become famous throughout Israel. It's not, it's not Boaz. You see that? The he, the him that she gives birth to is a boy, and his name is Obed. And Obed is the grandfather of King David. And through King David, the descendant of King David is Jesus, the Messiah, who absolutely <laughs> becomes famous throughout all Israel and absolutely uh, sustains us, gives us new life, do you see what's going on in this little book of Ruth? It's incredible. This was a thousand years before Jesus was born, and the whole story points to Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. It's incredible. Like, only God could make this happen. A thousand years apart. So we've got the three redeemers. We've got Boaz. Remember, he bought back the debt that the family owed and gave them all of his riches. Does that remind you of anybody? Jesus, our Redeemer. We even talk at calling that because he buys back the debt of sin that we owe. Uh, Romans 6 is the wages of sin, right? The 
debt that we owe for our sin is death. And there's no escaping that on our own as humans, except that Jesus came and died in our place. He took our death upon himself and gives us his new life. And when the king comes back, when the king comes into his kingdom, all that he owns becomes ours. (laughs) That's awesome. And then Ruth, remember what Ruth did. Ruth left a better place to go to a worse place, hoping that it would be better in the end. But if she didn't go, Ruth, uh, her mom, Naomi, didn't have any chance at all, would have never made it. Uh, In order for Naomi to have a hope and a future, Ruth had to give up hers. Got it? In order for Naomi to have a land and a family again, Ruth had to give up hers. Does that remind you of anybody? Someone who left heaven to come to earth, a place far worse, but for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. For me and for you. The whole story points to Jesus a thousand years before it ever happened. Our great redeemer, our kinsman, our bridegroom. And we need to, say it again, make that choice to get out of Moab, to invite God into every aspect and every detail of our life and to see his provision and protection in every every part of our life, for internally, externally, personally, relationally, job. There's nothing that he does not see, and there's nothing he doesn't have control over. And anything, anything that you might lose when you leave Moab, anything, it will all be restored to you and more. If you want to make that step today, if you want to talk to me or Pastor Jeremy, you need to be baptized, you need to uh, have a prayer, committing your life with the Lord again, please talk to us today. You're online, send us a note today so that we can start moving towards the Lord, towards Israel. All right, let's, let's all stand up and we'll say a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, you are creator, sustainer of the universe, and during this season of harvest, we we look with uh, thankful hearts to the bounty that uh, our land produces for us and for many around the world, and uh, we don't want to take those blessings for granted and acknowledge that you do uh, provide for us all of our needs of body. And Lord, we also thank you for the provision of Jesus Christ, who buys back our broken and sinful lives abound for death and hell, no hope and no future. Lord, thank you for restoring us to new life, sustaining us in this age and in the age to come uh, through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to serve you. We want to follow you. We want to trust you, uh, trust in you to to provide everything that we need. Uh, Help us to invite you into our lives every day. Help us to share your love with everyone around us every day. Lord, we ask these things uh, in Jesus' name.